Matthew 13 is where we're going. We started last week. Matthew 13 records seven parables that Jesus used to teach about the kingdom of heaven. Now, parables are fictional stories used to illustrate or teach a lesson. So we're looking at these to understand what the lesson is. This morning, we're going to look at three parables, mostly because that's the way Matthew lays it out. He just kind of, Matthew has arranged these in a parable sandwich, so to speak. Um, so together, they, they give us a more comprehensive perspective of the effectiveness of the kingdom of heaven. The effectiveness of the kingdom of heaven. I know you're thinking, man, that's a good title. Wow. How does he come up with this? He's brilliant. I know, it's a gift. <clears throat> the effectiveness of the kingdom of heaven. Um, I tried to make a more catchy title, but that's, I think that that describes it really, really accurately. So I stuck with it, even though it's very, very long. The effectiveness of the kingdom of heaven. So there are many facets to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we have to be careful that we do not become fixated on one facet and ignore the other facets. I think sometimes in Christianity, we have this habit of, of the Bible says the kingdom of God is like this, and we just go to seed on that, so to speak, and we forget the other parts of the kingdom of God, and it's, it's rich, and there's a lot to it. So we have to consider there are many facets to the kingdom of heaven. So in these parables, Jesus teaches us how the kingdom of heaven is simultaneously small, effective, and terrifying by the time we get to the end. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. And if you have your bulletin, here we go. Number one, the kingdom of heaven is like a field. We were like a field last week, but this is a different parable. For uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, he says, here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. Got your imagination going? I mean, part of the reason for telling the stories is to get your imagination involved in what's going on. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmers, the farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you, are, where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? Now, I got to tell you, that's, that's a reasonable question. Uh, the farmers, workers, they have worked hard to plant the good seed. Now there's these weeds coming up. Uh, what do you say to the farmer? Let's, let's pull those weeds out. Let's get rid of them. Y'all are following me. Verse 29. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let them both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. Got your brain around all of that? There's a lot of things going on in that parable. In this parable, we have, we have a farmer, we have good seed, we have a field, an enemy, we have 
weeds, weed seeds and weeds. We have the farmer's workers. We have a harvest is going to happen and then there's a fire and then there's a barn. And what does all of this mean? What is Jesus illustrating? So uh, again, this week, I caution you, don't jump to conclusions because Jesus is going to explain the parable in a minute after he explains or gives us two other parables. So we'll get back to that parable. I love it when scripture does that because it keeps you in suspense because now you got to listen to the end. Sorry, some of y'all were thinking about the Super Bowl. Now you got to pay attention. Number two, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. First it was like a field. Now it's like a mustard seed. Uh, this week and last week, both Matthew introduces a parable and then he goes off on a tangent and then he comes back with an explanation. It's going to be one of those Sundays. He comes back with an explanation of the original parable. Uh, It's not a mistake that he does it that way. It's not Matthew's ADHD. Matthew, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he organizes these stories, these events, and these teachings for a purpose, and it's brilliant. So here's the next parable in verse 31. He says, here is an illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. Got your imagination going? It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. So there's a great picture. We have, it's a pretty short little parable, um, but Jesus doesn't explain the parable. Uh, the, the picture's pretty simple. Some, something apparently insignificant, right? The mustard seed, something insignificant grows to have a significant and beneficial impact. That's, that's the general principle there. The insignificant mustard seed grows into a beautiful tree where the birds come and make their nests, their homes, and gives life, and it's all wonderful. The kingdom of heaven is like that. Seems insignificant, but then it grows into something significant. At the time Jesus tells this parable, this parable, the Jews were looking for a Messiah who can set them free from the oppression of Roman occupancy. The Jews think that they need a king or a Messiah who can organize and lead an army against Rome and set the Jews free. They need a big, dynamic, charismatic leader. And so far, it seems like Jesus is going to, he's going to be kind and bless his way to world domination. You with me? He is going to quietly love the Romans until they just surrender to the Jews. It just doesn't sound like the kingdom of heaven is really a force to be reckoned with. Jesus tells another similar parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a little yeast. (laughs) I don't think this is going to get any better. Verse 33, Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. This is my kind of illustration. 
Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Little bit of yeast went through all of the dough. Now, I know very little about baking. Um, eating is more my forte. Uh, <laughs> But I do remember long, long, long time ago seeing my mom with the little packages of yeast. You remember those yellow packages of yeast? Uh, she would take what appeared to me to be just an incredibly small amount, a little pinch of yeast that went into this mixture to make the dough that make the bread. And uh, the, the yeast, although it's just a very small amount, seems insignificant, the yeast reacts with the other ingredients. I Googled this so I know that I'm right. The yeast reacts with the other ingredients. It causes those air bubbles. Did you know that in, in bread? Uh, so that your bread is fluffy and is, you know, soft instead of being a cracker. Right? The yeast adds flavor and nutrients to the bread. It does all these wonderful things. So the yeast looks insignificant. But it has a significant impact on the entire lump of dough. You get in the picture? No one ever said, I'd like to have my sandwich on a cracker, please. Could I get my Reuben on a saltine? No. No, 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 no. We like our bread soft and fluffy on the inside and crusty on the outside. And yeast does that. A little yeast transforms the entire lump of dough. Brent, are you going to get to a point or are we just talking about food? I'm just following the text, dude. So why does Matthew put these two parables between the parable of the field with the wheat and the weeds and its explanation? Why the parable sandwich? Hmm. I wrote that in my notes. Hmm. <laughs> I wish you, I should put my notes on the screen. Y'all would be even more distracted than me. As if, as if Matthew is not distracted enough, he adds this kind of parenthetical comment here. So we have, we have the beginning of the, the parable of the, weed, the weeds and the wheat, and then we have these two other parables, and then uh, Matthew's going to take another tangent. So hang with me for two more verses, and then we'll get back to the original parable. In verse 34, Jesus always... Yeah, Jesus always uses stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. <clears throat> In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. He said, I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. That's pretty fun, isn't it? that here we are on this side of the cross and God has promised that whenever he, whenever he sends the Messiah, he's gonna explain things in parables. He's gonna use those parables to explain the hidden things that we read about in 1 Peter at the first of service. These, these things from the, that have been hidden from the creation of the world are gonna be revealed to some of us through the parables. I think that that's really cool. 
I evidently you don't, but I do. Uh, so verse 34, uh, since Matthew is on a parenthetical tangent, I want to just point something out that I think is interesting. It's kind of a literary thing. Uh, in verse 34, you notice it's kind of redundant, where Jesus says, Jesus always, or Matthew writes, he says, Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. And then the next statement is, he never spoke to them without using such parables. So he kind of repeats himself. Uh, there's a little lost in the translation there, but but just, just so you know, uh, Greek poetry and literature didn't rhyme sounds, the sounds of words like we do in English, but they rhymed thoughts. And so they would create patterns with thoughts, like we do patterns with uh, rhyming the ends of words. Um, so here in Matthew, Matthew repeats the same words in reverse order. <clears throat> so a very, very literal translation of this would be Jesus always spoke using parables. Using parables, Jesus always spoke. He's being redundant. Obviously, we don't translate it that way because everyone just thought of Yoda whenever I read that. Didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Using parables, Jesus always spoke. You know, some of you didn't get it, but anyways. <clears throat> but for poetry's sake, that would be more, more of a literal translation. The redundancy is intentional. Jesus spoke with parables. He spoke with parables. Now, Matthew is quoting uh, Psalm 78, verse 2, uh, he's doing this again, always tying down that Jesus is fulfilling the messianic prophecies, okay? That's why he brings it up. Now, he's quoting Psalm 78, verse 2, but all four verses there are really, really good. So I'm going to read. I don't think I made a slide for this because I just want you to listen carefully. Sometimes I think I put the slides up and then I lose your attention because you're reading while I'm talking. Psalm 78, verse 1, it says, Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Then he says, watch this. He says, open your ears. We, this is a theme in Matthew. Those that have ears, let them hear. And, and David is writing, open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from the past. That's what uh, Jesus just quoted, or Matthew just quoted. Stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. Verse four, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders, wonders, wonders. Cool, it's a great verse. Matthew is making sure to remind us that Jesus fulfills the messianic prophecies, but he is also reminding the reader that through these parables, Jesus is explaining things hidden since the creation of the world. It's not a simple story about a mustard seed or a little bit of yeast. It is the revelation of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And then he illustrates it. So we're learning about the effectiveness of the kingdom of heaven. I think that's pretty exciting. Until some of you are like, yeah, Super Bowls today. The effectiveness of the kingdom of heaven. Number four, the parable of the field explained. Verse 36. Then leaving the crowd... I'm looking at my time. I almost thought we were going to get out early, but we're not. Verse 36. Then leaving the crowds outside, 
Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, we can always trust his disciples to ask the important questions because Jesus teaches and then later they're like, we didn't understand that. So Jesus said, it's a good thing that they asked. His disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Because it was an elaborate story. Jesus explained this to us. So Jesus replied, the son of man, his title he came up with for himself, Jesus, the son of man, so that's Jesus, is the farmer who plants the good seed. Got your brain around that? The son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. And the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. That's rich. The good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. So now we have all of the players in the parable. Now Jesus is going to explain what's happening in verse 40. Verse 40, here we go. He says, just as the seeds, pardon me, just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire. Remember at the end of the parable, uh, the harvesters go in and they sort the weeds from the wheat and they put the weeds in bundles and then they put them in fire. They burn them. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. There will be a day that the weeds and the wheat will be sorted. And the wheat will, or the weeds will be put in, they will be burned with fire. Verse 41, the son of man will send his angels, Jesus will send his angels, and they will remove, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. That's a lot. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So the kingdom of God is like this. The son of man, Jesus, is placing good people who belong to the kingdom of heaven in their places. He's getting them all arranged. Good little seeds. In the grand scheme of the Jews' situation, in the grand scheme of life, this seems insignificant, okay? God placing his people around the earth. To make matters more complicated, Satan, the evil one, comes along and he sets up those who belong to him right in the middle of those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. The audacity. Can you imagine if you planted a garden and your neighbor came over and threw a bunch of goat heads in the middle of your garden. If you haven't picked it up, I hate goat heads. Hate, hate, hate goat heads. So in your little world, think about this for a second. In your little world, hopefully you are one of Jesus's good seeds. 
God has allowed for Satan to put his little evil seeds around you. I'm not talking about your children, by the way. <laughs> I'm talking about people who belong to Satan. Okay? Some of you are like, still sounds like you're talking about my kids. <laughs> no, no, no. Like the workers in the parable, do you feel like your, your field just got invaded? Because it's kind of what's going on. We have the kingdom of God is like this. Jesus spreads his people out. Satan comes along and spreads his people out among God's people, around Jesus' people. So like the workers in the parable, our first reaction is to let's remove them. Let's pull them out by their roots. Because if you don't get the roots, they'll come back, right? Get rid of them. We don't want them in our world. Just going to let that marinate for a second. Jesus says, no, leave them alone. I can see a three-year-old stomping their foot. What do you mean, leave them alone? You see, Jesus knows something about his, his little seeds. They're going to grow into this wonderful, beautiful creation, a new creation, we could say. Jesus does not want us to uproot the weeds because he said previously, he said, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. So leave them alone. Now, if you were raised in church, if you were raised in the church I was raised in, you'd have a hard time accepting that. I hope I'm the only one that was raised in a church like that. It's kind of like, it's like our purpose on earth as believers, as churchgoers, as churchgoers, let's do that. Our purpose as churchgoers here on earth is to uproot the weeds, identify and destroy, right? Church, it's not our job to uproot unbelievers and remove them. Gonna let that sit for a second. So, Brent, what is our job? Do we just allow sinners to keep on sinning? That's a great question. Great question, and I'm so glad you asked it. Because I have an answer. What is our job? Do we just let sinners go? Do we just let sinners come to church? <laughs> that is great. That is great. Eyes forward. Don't look around. <laughs> Do we just let sinners come to church? Well, I could take a snapshot here. <laughs> that was a great opportunity to say, take a selfie, Brent. <laughs> Do we just let the sinners keep on sinning? Well, the kingdom of heaven is like this. This is beautiful. The kingdom of heaven is like a pinch of yeast. It is small, but it spreads throughout the entire lump of dough, interacting with the other ingredients, transforming them and making them into something wonderful. We worry that evil is going to rub off on us, right? We kind of teach our kids that. The fact is 
The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Do, do, you, do you understand how large that is? The kingdom of heaven in us actually rubs off and transforms those around us. I need you to absorb that for a moment. The kingdom of heaven in us affects those around us. Some of you are still thinking, but evil affects us. Let me, let's just work through this. Hold on, hold on to that before you say it out loud. Now here's the terrifying part. I think it's terrifying. Verse 39 tells us that the harvest is the end of the world and the harvesters are the angels, okay? The harvest is at the end of the world and the harvesters are the angels. Verse 40, the weeds are sorted from the wheat. Those who belong to Satan are separated from those who belong to Jesus. You understand the picture. It's really not complicated. Those who belong to Satan... The parable tells us they are put into bundles and they are burned in the fire so it will be at the end of the world. They are burned in fire. Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven to earth in peace, in kindness, gentleness, in love, patience, even self-sacrifice. And Jesus overcomes the world. We just sang about this. I'm going to say that all again because I don't know that you fully grasped it. Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven to earth. And he does it in peace, kindness, gentleness, with love, with patience, and in self-sacrifice. And Jesus, he dominates the world. He overcomes all of the world. That's the power of the kingdom of heaven. That's the effectiveness of the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, the kingdom of heaven, it just comes and it's all quiet. How is he going to ever take over the world? Because it's like a little bit of yeast that just spreads. Little at a time. You follow? Oh, it's good. It's almost like the Holy Spirit in inspiring Matthew was brilliant. Jesus overcomes Satan. That's what the text says. Jesus overcomes Satan, evil people, and even evil, it says. In verse 41, it says, the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will, the Son of Man, Jesus will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom, they will remove from Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, Everything that causes sin and all who do sin, all of the evil gets wiped away. Jesus wins. Like a mustard seed growing into a magnificent tree and like yeast spreading through dough, the kingdom of heaven quietly and powerfully advances. It may seem small and insignificant. It may not have a military force. It may not have nuclear power. But the kingdom of heaven remains to the end. Uh, I'm going to say it. I think that Christianity is looking for a foothold in our world 
to in our world. I'm making this as broad as I possibly can. We're looking for a foothold in our world, in our system, worldly systems, so that we can change them. And I think if anything this text shows us is that what changes the world is Christ in us and when they see Christ in us. And we don't need positions of power. Jesus didn't, he did exactly the opposite of what the Jews expected. We do not need positions of power to see the world transformed. We just need a little mustard seed. That's all. We need a mustard seed of the kingdom of heaven. I want to dance, but you guys would make fun of me. All it takes is a little of the kingdom of heaven in us, and it'll spread like yeast throughout the whole lump of dough. Verse 42, going on. While it may appear from a human perspective that the kingdom of heaven is insignificant, the promise is that the angels will throw those who belong to Satan into the fiery furnace where, they will, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this is not the parable. This is not the figurative part. Uh, we, have, we have kind of a, a rise in theology and modern Christianity saying, well, whenever Jesus talks about hell, it's, already, it's always figurative. He's always, it's just a figurative picture. Well, the first part of the parable is figurative. I'll give you that. But we're not in that part of the story now. We're in the explanation part of the parable. So we have left figurative behind. Now Jesus' explanation is very literal. The fiery furnace is not figurative. You okay? God's judgment is real. Hell is real. Now watch this. But it is God's judgment. It is not ours. It's God's hell. It's not ours. You see, we're all out there standing at the edge of the field going, let's pick the weeds, man. I got a hoe. We can get rid of them. And God says, no, 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 no. My harvesters will take care of it in due time. You tend to you. My point is we have people around us who do not know Jesus. And the only way they are exposed to Jesus is by being around you, seeing Jesus in you. Well, Brent, they're sinners. They deserve hell. There again, we let sinners come to our church. Hundreds of them every Sunday. They even let one preach. (laughs) But Brent, they're sinners. They deserve hell. It's not your place. It's not your place to uproot them. Do you see that? It is our purpose. It is our purpose to show them compassion for the lost, just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus did. Over and over, he goes to the the villages and he heals everyone. Well, they didn't all deserve it. No, they didn't. Thank God for it. Jesus goes, and it is our purpose to be as insignificant 
and effective as a mustard seed or yeast, quietly spreading through our world, exposing those who do not know Jesus to his kindness, to his blessings, to his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his eternal life, on and on. We should be compelled by compassion to not uproot them, but to share the kingdom of heaven in Christ Jesus with them. Does that make sense? My, uh, my yard, I like grass. I can grow grass a little bit. But I learned a long time ago, you can spend all your time out there picking the weeds and they just keep coming back, coming back, coming back, coming back. Or you can fertilize it and water it like crazy and the grass will choke out the weeds. I think that's a great illustration that's very parallel to what Jesus is saying here. If Matthew had consulted me, I would have explained that to him, but he didn't. It's a good thing he didn't. Verse 43, I'm coming to the end. We end on a high note. I'm just going to pin that down. I'm going to nail that down a little bit because I just, uh, the, the idea of a figurative hell is creeping into Christianity and that's just not what the Bible teaches. I, I think that there is a, a compassionate side of Christianity that says, oh no, God wouldn't send anybody to a literal hell. Well, the problem is, is that, especially in this parable, we have God the Father sending his harvesters into the field for the express purpose of separating the wheat from the weeds, and the weeds are bundled and thrown into the fire. And then he explains that as being hell where there's weeping and gnashings of teeth. We can't get away from that, okay? So verse 43 We end on a high note. I wasn't going to end on everybody going to hell. That's not a great way to end service. The text doesn't end that way anyways. Uh, Verse 43 says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Ah, if there was ever a verse that could hug you, that's the one. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. And then Jesus cautions, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand this. The kingdom of heaven is both tragic and glorious. Evil people, Satan, and hell are real. But righteous people, Jesus, and shining like the sun in the Father's kingdom is equally real. The kingdom of heaven is not weak and insignificant. It is quiet, powerful, and enormously effective. God did that. (laughs) That's so cool. We do not need to make our presence known by force. We need to make Jesus' presence known by loving our neighbor as ourselves, blessing those God puts into our lives, no matter who they are. Did you catch that last qualifier? That we bless the people God puts into our lives, no matter, no matter who they are. But Brent, they don't go to the right church. They don't go to any church at all. They're heathens. They are absolutely Brent. They are the definition of a weed I know, and God put them right beside you. So let your little light shine, sweetheart. We are transformed by Christ's righteousness. (laughs) 
Do you, do, do you grasp that? We are transformed by Christ's righteousness. We are compelled by Christ's compassion. Because of the work of Jesus, we are part of this glorious kingdom of heaven.